Today we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, which is the last topic, or so it seems as the last topic in the book of Ephesians. But it's not really the last topic in the book of Ephesians. This topic has come up already. It, 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 it's, I think, all through this letter of God to his church. That it's not, it's not just one more thing to, to talk about and consider. One more topic to add on, kind of like, well, there's marriage, there's family, there's work, and oh yeah, at times there will be spiritual warfare. No, this, this, this echoes all the way through this book. We've seen it, we've encountered it several times before. I'll track some of that through along the way so that when we arrive here, I think spiritual warfare is actually the main point. That the thrust of this book is God writing a letter to his church to prepare them for the spiritual battle that they have been and will continue to be in the midst of. Now what comes to, you, to mind for you when we talk about spiritual warfare? What does that suggest to you? What images come to mind? I think we have a, a caricature in our minds about what spiritual warfare is, what spiritual warfare looks like. I think that that caricature includes things like somebody being um, drastically, vis visibly, outrageously overtaken by some other spiritual entity. They have no control of themselves. They're not in their right mind. They might be caused to harm themselves. They might be rolling around on the ground. They might be foaming at the mouth. And we, get, we arrive there, well, the New Testament describes some demonic oppression, some demonization as looking like that. Perhaps you've heard stories of certain events or spiritual and demonic encounters somewhere, probably somewhere else. Probably far from here, you've heard stories like this and, and uh, that line up with those accounts that are in the New Testament. And that's, that's real. That's biblical. That is how demonic encounters are described at times. But the, the error in our thinking is when we consider that that's the only way that spiritual attack occurs. That that's what demonism or what spiritual harassment, that's what it looks like. Many of you, experience spiritual attack. But you likely blame it on yourself instead of a spiritual enemy. You blame it on your own thoughts, your own weaknesses. That spiritual warfare actually occurs through daily irrational fears, ongoing habitual feelings of inferiority, um, a, a bondage to addictive behaviors, immobilizing Mental accusations that continue to come against you, reminding you of your spiritual failures, continuing reoccurring thoughts of self-condemnation, even suggesting self-harm. All of these are actually classic versions of spiritual attack that are way too common they would be common in this room, except we don't talk about them because we assume we're the only ones that ever have any of that going on. And the other dressed up and washed and hair-combed followers of Jesus around us don't have anything like this. And so we keep it to ourselves. You see, the danger of, of 
after having a caricature of what spiritual warfare is, is it something extreme that we don't normally see around us that doesn't much happen today, is something that happened like in Bible times, or something that happens far away. But I would suggest to you it's much more common. It's much closer to home, and it can be a daily occurrence. By location, among other topics in the book, we would assume, we could assume that maybe this spiritual warfare thing is just one more topic in the list of many in the book. But in, in the book of Ephesians, we have three chapters that describe this is what God has done for us in Christ. Spiritual warfare is there. And the, in, the, in the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, we, we see how we are called to live into that which God has done for us in Christ. That we, we see in chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is what this new life that God has given us in Christ, this is what it looks like. We see in these chapters that, that this is how we lean into, how we step into God's future for us already in the present. What spiritual growth looks like. And that spiritual growth has some general principles as described in chapter 4 of putting off the old and putting on the new. It's important terminology. And then it's fleshed out more specifically in chapter 5 and even into chapter 6 with very specific ways in which we put off the old and put on the new. That which belongs now to our new life in Christ. In the everyday aspects of life, that's where the new life occurs. In marriage and in family and even in our work relationships, that's, that's, that's the context in which our new life and spiritual growth occur. It would stand to reason then, in those same very normal and real everyday encounters, even in marriage and in family and at work, in the everyday rhythms of life, that's also, if that's where spiritual growth occurs, if that's where our ministry in the gospel as ambassadors for Christ occurs, that's also going to be the context in which spiritual warfare occurs in the everyday realities of life. Many of the big issues of our day have a spiritual, I would say a demonic aspect to them. This would include abortion, which is certainly in the news this week. But abortion, especially late-term abortion, bears a striking resemblance to the Old Testament horror of in desperation and trying to ask an idol to intervene for them people would actually offer their babies as a sacrifice to the idol Moloch. There is a spiritual wickedness behind the horrors of trafficking and pornography which take those who have been created in the image of God and reduce them to abused objects used for the gratification of others. There is a spiritual wickedness and bondage in the religious and spiritual oppression that occurs in many places around us in the world where billions of people are locked away in whole regions of spiritual darkness. This is not just something from the past. This is very real in our generation. Just as spiritual forces of darkness were arrayed in opposition to Christ, so they do to us as those whom he loves and of those who are the body of Christ in the midst of the world. That he has sent us in his name 
on his mission. And he warned us in advance that as they hated me, Jesus said, so they will hate you. And he wasn't just talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Frankly, Pharisees and Sadducees don't concern me much today. But there is an enemy that we do face. But here's the key. Just as with other aspects of life, we are called to live in the light of who we are by God in Christ. We are called to live in the light of what God has done for us, this new life that he has given us in Christ, and we can live into that. So also, spiritual warfare is won in the same way. Spiritual warfare is waged on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ, who we now are as members of the body of Christ, that our identity is with him. And it's on the basis, like David against Goliath, it is on the basis of God's promise of of what he will do for us. That's where our spiritual victory will be. In battles, whether they seem small or large. In the Christian life, if we do it on our own, if we do it on our own ability and our own strength, or try to, I should say, if we try to live this new life on our strength, it will be nothing more than our own ugly, judgy moralism. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We will not bear fruit. So also, it is by faith in whose God made us to be in Christ. The same means by which we live this new life is by faith in what God, what God has made us to be in Christ that we have our strength to stand against the evil powers. If, as Paul said to the Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And he would add in Ephesians, let us also have victory by the Spirit and His working in us. Spiritual warfare is real. And so Paul says at the culmination of this letter, in in chapter 6 and verse 10, and I do encourage you, please, have a Bible open. Whether it's a device, whether it's a Bible you brought with you, if you didn't bring one with you, you have a Bible right in front of you there in the pew. You'll find us, I think, on page 979. But open God's Word and let's follow along together. It begins in chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Now this is an interesting point. It's not against the devil. Don't say the devil made you do it. The devil's probably not tempting you or I. We're small fish in a big sea. But he has his minions. And there are rulers against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. From the opening, this letter from God to his church has declared a spiritual reality. This letter is much bigger than merely practical Christian living. How to have a better Marriage, a better family, a better career. This letter begins that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. In that same spiritual realm in which there are 
enemies that will attack us. There is a greater spiritual realm and reality which transforms this material world that we see and touch. In our culture, we are much more oriented towards the material, this physical present. And we who believe in God and his promises, we tend to, in our thinking, kind of organize it this way, that the material world is that which is present and the spiritual realities are that which are future. But much of the world recognize is a spiritual realm, the unseen world that is very present around us as well. And that's what Paul is describing here in Ephesians chapter 6. There's an unseen spiritual realm that is just as present, and we see the reality of that greater spiritual battle as it's described here in Ephesians, not merely in chapter 6, but throughout the book. Because this battle is real, we need to be ready, to be ready for the spiritual battle. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Because the days are evil, and we are weak in ourselves, we have an inherent weakness. We need God's armor if we're going to stand firm. Don't take away from the story of David and Goliath that David didn't need armor because he was, he was a marksman with a sling. That is not the lesson to learn there. David's confidence was that he was the one who served and believed in and trusted the promise of the true and the living God. And the Philistines' gods were no gods at all. And the Philistine was subject to him because God said he would be. Because David believed God's promise. And so the enemies of Israel must flee before them. And so it would be. We need God's armor if we're going to stand firm against the devil's schemes and his methods. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 gives some insight here, and I want to put this verse up so you can see it without having to necessarily turn quickly to it. For though we walk in the flesh, in this physical mortal human body, we are not waging war according to the flesh or our own strength, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what strongholds? To destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, the spiritual warfare that is most common to us is not an external demonic encounter, but the spiritual warfare that is most common to us is the battle which occurs within our own mind. Ideas placed within our own thoughts. Peter says, gird up then the loins of your minds, which is a strange kind of archaic statement that's a, what they call a Hebrewism in the Bible. What it means is prepare your minds for battle. Paul says in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The battle occurs in our minds, and so never underestimate the importance of learning, of knowing, of applying God's truth into life in order to stand firm against the enemy's lies. That's where the battle rages. And that's where the enemy actually takes many victories. This is why Kids Sunday School in Awana 
We're in a kids' Sunday school program that, that, that kids are taking in three years in a creation-focused curriculum. In three years, they, they survey through the whole Bible. And if they're there through grade six, they'll, they'll, they'll do it again at a, at, at, at a grade-appropriate level. In Iwana, kids together at various ages are focused on a particular verse that they're going to memorize, a truth around that verse that they're learning about and understanding and applying into life. Not merely so they can, they can memorize a verse and tick off a checklist and get some awards at the end of the year, but that they'll hide God's word in their heart. And they can take it home. And families, because they're tracking somewhat together, families can use either one of those materials. Either of those opportunities as a template in families' own discipling of their children. There are so many lies being told to our children in today's society that we as a church family need to help our families as much as we can to nurture their children in God's truth. It's why BP Academy is so important. That we would be equipped together for ministry in God's truth to one another, to people around us. That's why your own time and God's truth. How can you answer the enemy with God's truth if you're not putting it into your heart? If you're not taking it in on a regular basis? Your time in God's word and sharing that with others, equipping and strengthening others, whether it's in your small group or your discipleship group. Sharing what, what, what God puts into you from his word, being ready then to give an account of the hope that you have to people around you, that we go to others around us, we've got something to share with them. You never know when somebody's going to ask you, what would you do this weekend? Will it include something new and fresh that God gave you out of his word, out of his truth? I know that would be weird. That would be good. Because it's God's truth. That's why in Sunday morning worship and the church gathered, we, we, we focus on God's truth in our songs as well as in our teaching time. Everything stands upon that. The battle in our mind means that we need to be ready to send passing thoughts packing. The enemy may bring tempting thoughts or suggestions your way. Don't be the one to allow them to stay. I'm going to talk about each piece of this armor briefly, but but I also want to just lay out a couple of principles first, ground rules, if you may, if if we may. This This is, first of all, this is God's armor. This is the armor that God gives us, but it's also the armor that God himself is described as as wearing when our Lord is depicted in the prophets, particularly Isaiah, as the warrior king himself going into battle on behalf of his people. This is the armor that he wears. He puts on his righteousness like a breastplate. The sword, of course, coming out of his mouth. We've seen that image. He, He wraps himself with truth and faithfulness. So this is God's armor. And so as we have been made new in Christ, as we have put off the old and now we put on the new, we step into this new life that he's given us that looks like Jesus. We would put on his armor as he describes it for us here. The Lord is our truth. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our peace. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our armor. God is for us. Well, we are not strong enough to be for ourselves. The Lord is our armor and the enemy cannot get through what God has given you. But Ephesians chapter 4 to 6 also turned toward that stepping into that which God has 
done for you. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, again, this is what God has done. This is what God has said. This is truth about you. And now in 4, 5, and 6, we step into that. And that's where we find these exhortations now to stand firm. And we stand firm not only by believing what God has said to us about our, the Lord, our righteousness, but we also step into his righteousness. We practically put on these aspects and there will be safety there for us. There will be strength there for us. The repeated call in this section to stand, to withstand, to stand firm, to stand, is the obvious imperative. Do you want to stand? Are you tired of slipping and falling? Life sometimes seems like a very, uh, you're walking it's been one of those rainy, rainy springs we don't normally have. And, and, and the trail is a bit tilted. And it's very muddy. And you keep, because of the angle on the trail and the softness and slippery, the clay and the mud, you keep slipping and falling and rolling in it. Are you tired of falling? Are you tired of slipping? having to get back up again, the means to stand, to withstand, to stand firm is through God's strengthening in his power, not ours. The how we are going to stand is in God's power is to put on and take up the armor of God that he has given to us. First in that armor is the belt of truth. Let's begin to go through the catalog, shall we? The belt of truth runs through Ephesians. This is the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation in chapter 1. In Ephesians 4, it is by speaking the truth in love that we grow up in every way. And we will speak truth to our neighbor, not lies or deception, so that we give no opportunity to the devil. These references show that the belt of truth is both God's objective truth to us, about us. But it is also our subjective truthfulness or our integrity, speaking truth to one another, speaking truth in love, just as in Isaiah chapter 11, when the Lord, our warrior king, puts on a belt of his integrity and his faithfulness. In, in Genesis chapter 3, the first Recorded spiritual attack is one in which the serpent comes and suggests an idea that is contrary to what God has said. Did God really say? Is that really what that means? Instead of smacking down the lie by using God's truth, the woman used her own observations and ends up obeying the serpent instead of obeying God. In Luke chapter 4, after his baptism, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. There he's, he's fasting for 40 days. And then in weakness, the enemy comes to him and tempts him. But how does, how does, the, how does our Lord in his truly humanity, how does he answer these temptations? By replying each time from God's word to the particular temptation that is offered. In Acts chapter 17, 
in a small town called Berea. The people there, the Bereans, they, it's, they're described as, have, as when Paul comes and Paul's proclaiming the gospel to them, they listen very carefully to that which Paul is saying to them. And then what do they do? They go and they search the scriptures to see if these things are true. Now, if the Bereans are considered more noble than others because they listened to Paul and compared what Paul was saying to what God had already said in his word, how much more should we compare the thoughts that might circulate in our own heads? How should we compare those to what God has already said to us in his word. That's where our strength will be found. Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is true. Satan and his minions will come to you in your head. It may sound something like this. No one loves you. No one cares about you. You're on your own. God's truth says that God loves me. And gave his son for me. They might say, quit trying. You can't have victory over sin. You're not very spiritual. Well, I may not be very spiritual. But God's truth said that God is able to do far more than I ask or even imagine by his power that is at work in me. His power toward me is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead over all principalities and powers. God, in fact, works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I may not be very strong. I may not be spiritual, but he is. Yeah, but God really doesn't hear your prayers. You didn't say it right. You didn't pray it right. You didn't follow the right pattern. You rushed through it like you you probably didn't really even mean it when you prayed it. You were just going through the motions. You didn't specifically name your sin, so it's probably not forgiven. You need to go back and pray again. God is withholding blessing from you until you do better. Withholding. Withholding God who gave his own son for us, Romans 8 says, how will he not freely give us in him all things? God is not withholding. God has adopted you as his own. You are holy in his sight. You are a member of God's own household. Jesus is your peace with God. And you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You know what those accusations in your mind are. They are an attack and they are also an opportunity. Thank you, Jesus, that you have already paid in full for every sin that I have done, every sin that I may do, even sins which I don't even clearly remember. You have paid for all of it by your own death in my place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the enemy's accusations against me in my head are just merely a reminder. They only serve to remind me of your forgiveness. God's truth always overrules the enemy's lies. We experience that overrule. We experience that victory when we know and thus bring God's truth into the battle. I actually drafted a summary of Ephesians. I entitled it Standing Firm. There's a copy of it in your bulletin. 
It's very small print. I'm sorry about this. This is a summary of the whole book of Ephesians, or my intention of that. I wanted to, us to read that. Follow along, if you will. You can follow along out loud or just track on the page. You can just shout a hearty amen. Do that, the more the better. Not because I want to hear amens, but for you to verbally step into this truth is strengthening for you. It's one of the ways that we appropriate. Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if I believe, therefore I speak. And speaking what we believe does strengthen our faith. So maybe you're a little awkward and uncomfortable about shouting this out in front of everybody, but maybe take it home. Read through it out loud there. We who are full of faith in Christ Jesus have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That God has chosen us in Jesus to be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for the adoption to Himself as His own through Jesus Christ. In Jesus we have redemption by His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. God has lavished upon us the riches of His grace in all of His wisdom and insight. God has given us an inheritance in Jesus and has predestined us to it by His own will. Because we have believed God's Word, the gospel of our salvation, we have been sealed to God by His Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the guarantee of our glorious future with God. We thank God for every Christian we share this glorious calling with. We thank God for his great power toward us, the power that raised up Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenlies, far above all spiritual rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, both now and forever. Jesus is now our head, and we are secure in him. We once were dead in our sins and lived following the world and the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, but no longer. God in his mercy and love for us has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now we can walk in the good works God created for us and has ordained for us. Once we were outsiders, separated from God, without hope and without God in the world. But now, we once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Once we were outsiders, separated. We have been reconciled to God. We have access to God by His Spirit. We were strangers and outsiders. We're now members of His his household, God's family. We are being built together to be a living temple of the true and living God. God himself dwells in our hearts by faith, and we are rooted and grounded in how wide and how long, how high and how deep is God's love for us. God is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine according to the power of his Spirit in us. God is glorified now and forever by his grace to his church in Jesus. God our Father has gifted us, each of us, for the building up of the body of Jesus We will not be tossed to and fro by circumstances nor confused by false teaching and lies. By God's truth, we will grow up together to maturity in Christ's likeness. We are now free to live since we have been made new in Jesus. 
through truth and love, giving instead of stealing, by building up instead of tearing down, in words of kindness instead of slander, and in forgiveness instead of bitterness, we will give the devil no opportunity or ground in our lives. We now walk in love instead of immorality, in thanksgiving instead of coveting, confessing in the light instead of hiding in darkness, as those risen from the dead whom Christ now shines upon. Instead of drunkenness, we will be filled by God's Spirit. Loving and respecting in marriage, honoring and nurturing in families, serving one another as serving Christ. We are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the belt of truth. God's truth which is able to answer the enemy's lies. To slap them down and send them out. God's truth always overrules the enemy's lies. The breastplate of righteousness. We are protected by Christ as our righteousness. By faith in Christ, we are righteous before God. At the same time, in Ephesians 4.24, the emphasis on our living in the likeness of God's righteousness. This fits the image from Isaiah 59, where the Lord, going into battle, put on his righteousness as a breastplate. God cannot be attacked. God cannot be defeated. His own righteousness is his guard. And he invites us to live in it. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you, your strength, your breastplate, your armor is you more successfully living in a righteous way. I am saying that the Lord is our righteousness. And yet he invites you to step into it. As you walk in his ways, as you trust him, him and follow his leading, and as you lean into, step into this new life that we now can live by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is the, the safe trail. There is the sure footing. There is the ground on which we give the enemy no traction, no opportunity. So put on God's breastplate. Trust in the reality that I am completely righteous before God in Jesus. And guard your hearts from attack by walking in God's ways. We heard about one of those areas, finances. So many are in bondage to decisions made concerning finances and the things that were, were so easily drawn to, the shiny thing, the promises of what that will mean to us or for us. And we're way over our head and we're stuck and we're trapped and we see no way out. And yet we're not free to make a decision to up and do this or that should God call. Because how will I pay these debts if I were to do that? And so we're stuck in a trap. We can't get off the hamster wheel. And what Brad and Kathy are talking about in terms of Financial Peace University is simply getting unstuck of that debt trap. That's, that, that trap is one more way of bondage in the course of this world that is not God's freedom. It is, is a presumption on the future for the things that I desire and want that traps me going forward. And yet you can be free from it. You can make your way out of it. And that's the whole purpose of Financial Peace University and our giving time to that. 
Because we are free of any guilt because of Jesus, we are free to live out his character in life. That is the safe and solid ground upon which we now can stand. He says to be ready with the gospel. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Notice it's the readiness or the preparation of the gospel rather than the proclamation of the gospel. You already wrote yourself off as failing because you're not very good at proclaiming the gospel to others. When he doesn't say, here, proclaim, he says, be ready. Be ready in the gospel. We need to be ready with the gospel for ourselves, for yourself, and for others around you who need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel from you. There are times when somebody is feeling the guilt of something that they did and they need to be reminded from their brother or sister that they are forgiven in Jesus. As shoes for your feet to stand firm, we stand firm on the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. If we are ready with the gospel, the enemy's methods of guilt and shame gain no traction with us. The enemy whispers accusations and doubts. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe that sin really isn't forgiven. And what do you say to your friend in that that moment, in that circumstance? You remind them, do you believe in Jesus as Savior and that all your sin is forgiven because of Jesus? Do you believe that? remind them of what they have believed. I'm not talking about being saved again. I'm not talking about every time you confess, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I believe, God, that Jesus died for all of my sin. Every time I confess that I'm not being saved all over again, I'm reminding myself that I have been forgiven, that I have eternal life, that I will never perish, and that I will never come into condemnation. God has said so. I included in your bulletin this morning, getting lots of stuff this morning, aren't you? I included in your bulletin this little booklet called The Story. I actually picked this up when we, when, when we got to visit at a conference at the, the church where Alistair Begg um, pastors. I only mention that because some of you will give attention to it now because you know it's in some way connected with Alistair Begg. So when you read it, it'll probably sound Scottish. But what you will read in here is a wonderful overview of the story of God's rescue and restoration. How did it all begin from creation? What went wrong? The fall of humanity into sin. Is there any hope? Yes, God who God rescues us, saves us through Jesus. What will the future be? Restoration into God's glorious perfection. And I didn't give this to you to give to someone. I gave this to you for you. I want you to read it. I want you to remind yourself of the gospel again. And then after, after this thrills your heart again, then be ready to share it with somebody else as shoes for your feet, the readiness of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith is a word that suggests a shield the size of a small door. Now, this was a, a shield that could stand completely in front of a soldier, a small door. And also, they could lift it overhead if attacks were coming through the air or if they were near the walls of a city and things were being thrown down upon them. This shield had a soft cover that was often soaked in water prior to going into battle. 
because that soft, wet covering could extinguish any fiery darts, any fiery missiles, arrows, or javelins that might be coming against them. Trust in God's truth is the basis of our salvation, and trust or faith in God's truth is also our resistance against the enemy's lies and deceptions. The enemy will come and say, has God really said? When flaming darts come flying in, we answer them according to our trust, our belief, like David in what God has said. I can't make it financially. There's no way I can get out of this hole. But I believe God's promise that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It it doesn't seem like God really cares or notices me at all. But I believe God's word where he has said that you are loved, that he chose me in Christ from the foundations of the world, that God knows the very hairs on my head. He knows that they're decreasing. That God knows the very hours of my day. I'm not strong enough. I might as well give in. I cannot experience this victory that others seem to. I'm not strong enough. But faith answers that. Trusting in that though I am weak, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That he is able to do abundantly beyond what I ask or think. That he is able by his spirit to give life to this weak and mortal fleshly body. I may think that if I say something about my faith, they're just going to laugh at me. They're going to mock me. But faith answers, pray for me. That words may be given me. That God does give words and courage. Words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Faith realizes that according to Ephesians 3, God is at work showing his wisdom and power not only in the world, but to spiritual authorities through us as his church. Faith believes that like David believed it. The shield of faith, believing what God has said, using what God has said as the filter through which any of the enemy's lies must pass, and they cannot. And take up the helmet, which is our salvation, which is the confidence of our salvation, our ultimate protection, our safety against the enemy is the fact that by grace you have been saved. Alongside this confidence of eternal salvation is the confidence of God's rescue in dangers in life from the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul knows his situation is in God's saving hands. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. We thought we were going to die. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. So Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Though I walk in a dangerous place, like a place called the valley of the shadow of death, a place where there are dangers lurking in those shadows, I will not fear, for you are with me. There's my confidence. There's my trust. There's my faith.
and take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword which is given to us by the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. This sword is the only weapon both for attack and advance as well as for defending against the enemy's attacks. And Revelation 19, also in Isaiah, the Lord is seen having this sharp sword coming out of his mouth. And with that, he slays the enemy with his words. They fall down. And you say, I wish my words had that kind of power. I wish my words had that authority to them. You don't need your words to have that kind of power. Because you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And his word has that kind of authority and power. The word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to divide asunder between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is able to get in where you and I can't. And God will do his work with it. Jesus is truly human. When he was tempted, what did he do? He answered those temptations by taking up firm the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How will a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to God's Word. We are in a battle. Paul was in a battle when he was at Ephesus. Paul was in a spiritual battle over the the people giving up their idols when he gets run out of Ephesus. The spiritual battle for those believers in this city whom this letter was written to continued. And Paul is addressing that reality with the truth that he gives them to stand on throughout the letter. And that is the truth God has given to you and I because you and I are in a battle. You and I also hear from the enemy far too regularly. In fact, where God's word is advancing, where the spirit is filling, the enemy will be opposing. And yet God has given you his truth. God has secured you in his own righteousness. God himself is your salvation. And he plants your feet on the readiness of the gospel so that you are able to stand. And brothers and sisters, it's not just about you. It is about us together to stand. And it is about others around us who need to be invited into God's family and to be built up as followers of Jesus with us. And God has given us that privilege We will not be afraid of spiritual warfare. We will, like David, run into the battle because we go in the strength. We go clothed in the armor of the true and living God, and there is none like him. Let's pray. Father, our confidence is in you. Our hope is in you. You have given us your truth. You are our righteousness. You are our salvation. You've given to us your word. And it's upon your word that we can stand firm. You have given us faith to trust you. And faith that can test any of the fiery darts that come through our own minds. God, as we... 
trust you and wear your armor. Father, strengthen us to stand. Strengthen us to withstand, to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, not merely for ourselves. Lord, do this that you might be glorified in the body of Christ in the world today and right here in Brush Prairie. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.